Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. I'm the author of all things cycling-related, writer of many things outdoors, fitness-related, and doer of most things outdoors, fitness-related. And I'm Peter Glassford, Molly's co-host. I am a kinesiologist. We're up in Collingwood, Ontario right now. Uh, In the next month or two, we will be in a lot of cities. We're going Louisville to Belgium (laughs) and all around with a bunch of other stuff. So we're often traveling, but we're in Collingwood. I'm happy about this. I'm on, we're in our office. Yeah, we're also on the 96 day count or 96 hour countdown until we're not in the office for two months. So we're taking advantage. So to maximize this, I am on a stair stepper that Molly somehow has found that is apparently for at the workstation. So if you hear me breathing hard, perhaps, or moving up and down in audio, at least for today, it's because uh, I'm stepping. I hear you up and down in audio. Peter's had a lot of coffee this morning. He was up quite early. Yeah, I got up early to do a lot of things. I figured that was the way to maximize my time. As you can tell, he's a little, yeah, a little less monotone than usual. It's nice. Uh, still congested, though, a little bit. Well, I can't win them all. Um, anyway, actually, on the note of travel, if anyone in London or Paris or Antwerp or Brussels has someone who would be an awesome person or company to visit as far as consummate athlete lifestyle goes, uh, definitely let us know because we're going to be in those areas a fair bit in the next seven or eight weeks. So it would be you know sweet to include a couple of stop-bys. We're actually going to be stopping by the Vivo Barefoot uh, pop-up store in London while we're there, and we have some stuff at Rafa as well, so that should be pretty exciting. Parkour is big. Parkour is big. Yeah, that's true. Paris and London, I think. So yeah, if anyone wants to take us parkouring in either of those places, uh, please reach out. But anyway, uh, today's guest was uh, one of, I know I always say my favorite interviews, but this one really was a great one. Uh, Mackenzie Happy is the author of this great new book, Mindful Running. It's actually the latest in the Athletic Bookworms book club, if you want to pick up a copy. It's been super, super interesting as someone who's interested in obviously both mindfulness and running. uh, I really love it. But one of the athletic bookworms is also a cyclist and she was reading it and she said, you know, as long as she replaced running with cycling, she's been really enjoying it, thinking about it like that. Um, Yeah, so we kind of dive into what exactly being mindful while you're running looks like and you know, thankfully, it doesn't really involve a lot of like seated meditation or anything like that. It's really more about just shifting your thought patterns when you run. And it's been really fun to play with. Um, Mackenzie's also very similar to me as far as our career trajectories, except she's in running and I was primarily in cycling for a lot of years. So, you know, from magazines to books, and we sort of talk about that. So, if any intrepid journalist types out there are, you know, looking to, ask the question of how do I get your job to someone who writes about this stuff for a living. Uh, we we kind of dive into that a little bit, but more we talk about the principles of mindfulness and how you can apply them to whatever endurance activity you're doing. Peter, are you being mindful on the stepper right now? Yeah, I mean, speaking of endurance activities, I am stepping away. Just stepping away. The number is up to 24 now. I, I did notice, like, this is pretty good, actually. It's got a counter. This it has is a addictive. resistance band as well. Like, while we've been talking, I've done 26 steps. That's like, I don't know, does this have stories? It's like two stories. I don't know. Uh, actually, if you're interested in this concept, which I promise it's actually cooler than Peter's making it sound, this is something Brandon Olin and I talked about on the Movility podcast we just did a few episodes ago. As sort of a, a, instead of getting a treadmill desk, basically, this is a really good place to start. It's obviously, you know, you're going up and down a bit more than you would on a treadmill, but it also takes up a square foot versus... Quite portable. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, not that heavy. It's only 40 bucks on Amazon. And yeah, it's just kind of a nice way to jump, you know, from standing or sitting to moving a little bit while taking a call or checking email or whatever. So I've been really into it. I think it was a good, pretty inexpensive addition to our, you know, mounting collection of gym stuff in the office, I guess. Between that and the pull-up bar. So we'll have to throw a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, all our cookie stuff. If we had ab roller, this. We're not getting an ab roller. An ab roller almost killed me. Well, I mean, you can... I've been ab rolling just using... uh, 
my shirt, actually. I just take my shirt off on like a hardwood floor or a vinyl floor. <laughs> so it looks extra attractive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, this is super dangerous, by the way. Like, be really careful when you do this. Like, as Yeah, I, you're going to like crush your jaw, aren't you? <laughs> no, I just mean like take it easy on the ab roller. Like people, as Molly said, it, it will rip your abs apart. Yeah, pro tip. 70, <laughs> 70 repetitions on the ab roller might feel okay on the day. Yeah. The next morning, you will not be able to get out of bed. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's very eccentric. Like you're you're lengthening while while contracting, so the soreness is high. So start with like three and don't go right to full extension. Like there's no need to be full Superman today, but you'll get there in a few months. Um, but anyhow, the uh, you can definitely just take your shirt off and slide across the floor with your hands on your shirt. All right, so everybody, uh, take your shirts off and enjoy this podcast with Mackenzie. How did you get started in running and writing? Which came first? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I I grew up running, and uh, I ran cross country and track through middle school and high school. So I've, you know, almost as far as my memory goes back, I've been running, and uh, I ran a little bit in college, and then started running marathons on my own in in college, and um, that kind of carried over then afterwards uh into uh more marathons and i've done an ironman and uh, a number of other you know obviously shorter races over the years and um my writing career really started uh the first year after i graduated from college my first job was for a book publisher and i started uh writing kind of just on the side you know the the, the whole side hustle thing and uh i I had been an English major in college and loved to write. And um, there was a local endurance sports magazine in the Twin Cities that uh, I enjoyed reading. And I got in touch with the editor. And, you know, despite really not having any experience other than writing (laughs) for a university newspaper, you know, um, she hired me. And so I got to, you know, see some of my first uh, published stories, which was really thrilling to me. And also I got to write about something I loved to do, which was endurance sports. And um, so I think that really kind of helped, helped me get a foundation and get some published clips. And then I was able to, you know, pitch bigger magazines. And now, now more and more there's, you know, online work. And so I've written for you know, Runner's World and Men's Health and ESPN and the Atlantic and a bunch of places. And, um, yeah, it's pretty much all centered on uh, endurance sports, health and fitness and outdoor adventure. And, you know, they say write what you know. So Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a nice combination for sure. And it's really, I feel lucky that it's turned into a uh, sustainable and fulfilling career for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So kind of coming back to when you picked up running, did you ever run with a team or have you always been more of a prefer to do kind of running on your own? I mean, marathons and Ironman are obviously pretty solo endeavors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, growing up, I always ran on a team. And um, in my first year of college, when I ran uh, for the university I went to, um, that was, you know, with a team too. And then over the years, I've uh, since since college, I've run on you know different uh, adult teams and run with clubs and that kind of thing. But um, primarily, though, I, I definitely tend to run on my own. Well, I run with my dog usually, um, and uh, I think just by nature of my work, I have kind of a weird schedule. So it it really just works better for me to be able to get out and run on my own. And you know, as my book might suggest uh i i do like that kind of solitary time mm-hmm. um and you know my dog is like the perfect running partner because she's ready to go whenever i am so <laughs> yeah for sure i'm actually yeah, i'm jealous of the dog i've been campaigning for one i'll get i'll get it eventually <laughs> but i i'm sort of the oh. same way like i try to run with people or ride with people but i think ultimately like that's my that's my me time so I think I'm the happiest mm-hmm. when it's it's just me outside. Um, yeah, yeah. I like to be able to just kind of focus on, on the run and, uh, you know, and 
and when I'm ready, you know, and not have to, you know, schedule around anyone else. But, uh, yeah, but sometimes on weekends, uh, my husband and I will run together and, and now we have a one-year-old daughter, so I'll uh, push her in the stroller so she comes along sometimes too. And uh, so I get, I get company sometimes. Nice. Okay, so I always get the how do I get your job question, and I think you and I have pretty similar trajectories, but I'm just going to do it. <laughs> how do you answer when people say, how do I get your job? <laughs> or first of well, all, do you get um, that question a lot? Or is that just like a weird thing that happens yeah. to me? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel like I, I get a lot of questions and I've had a lot of um, sit downs over coffee with people who are interested in becoming freelance writers and um, and especially people who are interested in writing about some of the same things that I write about. And um, I mean, I, I kind of my my advice is, you know, just do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the old Nike ad. I mean, it's uh, one of those things that um, you can't spend too much time kind of researching and planning how to do it right because there was literally no blueprint for this kind of career and uh, you can really make it your own. And on top of that, you know, especially like magazine publishing and online stuff is just a constantly changing industry. So there's not really one right way to do it. You know, I kind of started with smaller publications and worked my way up um, by, by then pitching bigger ones. And I started going to events that get press passes and go to events like the Boston Marathon and uh, the Olympic trials and those kind of things. And, you know, was able to network further, but um, you know, some people will pitch, you know, a big, a big magazine and get in it the first time and mm-hmm. some work at it for years. And, um, so, I mean, I think the big thing, you know, is just being willing to, to take a risk and, you know, being in a place in your life where you can take that risk too. Cause especially at the beginning of a freelance career, uh, the, uh, pay isn't going to be a ton and also it, it's a little unpredictable. So, um, I, I was fortunate enough that I, I think I was just maybe naive enough to to get into writing early <laughs> on when I didn't have a lot of expenses. You know, I just had to pay rent and pay for my meals and, you know, buy a couple beers on the weekends mm-hmm. and that was kind of it. And uh, so uh, I was I was fortunate to be able to start then and, and really build my writing business over time. And until it could be more more sustainable the way it is now but yeah when I when I first started you know and decided to make the jump to full-time freelancing because I, I had freelanced on the side for a couple of years and then also did through graduate school and uh when I was graduating with my master's it was like well you know I was looking at jobs just more traditional jobs and I thought you know there's nothing I would rather do than than write. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot, really go all in. And if in a year, you know, I'm struggling to pay the bills, then I'll go back to the drawing board, but it's kind of, um, grown and I've, you know, gotten new projects and bigger projects every year. And so it's been very encouraging. That's awesome. So I think that's like a perfect answer. Mine is always just, yeah, like start writing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> get it know, out somehow somewhere <laughs> yeah yeah you can't spend too much time trying to do it the right way or plan because you know there's just you just gotta jump in at some point yeah I've been lately trying to do so much kind of like journaling and like mind mapping and all of that stuff and then I realized that I've now spent like you know five hours like doing that <laughs> and you know completely missed yeah, the actual work <laughs> productive but yeah yeah but then I think sometimes it's a it, it can be productive sometimes it can be a stalling effect so or you know a, a stalling technique I mean so yeah yeah exactly okay so now that we've we've started writing your full-time freelance how did you come up with mindful running and what made you decide now is the time to write this book yeah, well, so, you know, like I said, I've been a runner for a, a long time, and 
um, a number of years ago, you know, I just kind of realized that running had gone from something that really diffused stress in my life and something I really enjoyed to something that contributed to stress. And I, uh, I think that was largely a function of the fact that I just always had my sights set on distant PRs in the future or, um, you know, even when I would achieve certain benchmarkers like um, qualifying for Boston Marathon, I would just find other things to obsess about. And mm-hmm. When I wasn't thinking about the future, I was ruminating about bad workouts or a race where I fell short. And um, I was just really hard on myself. And I, I think I did that in a lot of areas of life. I had a kind of a tendency to put the blinders on and push and drive towards this this goal down the, the line. And that tended to kind of suck the joy out of things. And I don't think i performed at my best either so um so I kind of reached a point of burnout and I came to kind of slowly apply the principles of mindfulness to my running in order to kind of uh, reframe what running meant to me in my life and the role it played and um so mindfulness is you know just simply defined as non-judgmental present moment awareness uh and uh, it just meant, you know, I still trained for races, still had goals, but I didn't hold those goals. I didn't grasp them so tightly. And uh, I really emphasized the enjoyment of day-to-day training and uh, rather than that, that far-off goal. And so the book was really um, my attempt to deconstruct my mindful running process to kind of break it down into some steps for people to actually be able to use and apply to their own running. And then um, also, you know, I wanted to consult a bunch of other runners about how they use mindfulness in in their training. So I talked to a bunch of Olympians and Paralympians and professional ultra runners and uh, a bunch of folks. And I think, you know, as, as with any training program, you have to make it your own. So I wanted to share their stories about their mindful running practices. Um, and then I also talked to a bunch of experts in the field of contemplative neuroscience, you know, which is the, the um, study of the ways that mindfulness and meditation uh, affect the brain and, um, you know, affect our health and wellness in general. And it was really cool because these people that I reached out to, these neuroscientists, I mean, I think almost without exception, they were all runners just by chance. Huh. And um, and they all, you know, applied, not only did they study mindfulness and meditation, they also applied these things to their running, too. And so I really felt like I was kind of onto something when that occurred to me. Um, and then in terms of, like, the timing, you know, I think research on mindfulness and meditation is really reaching a a critical mass right now. And so I think, you know, my editor at Bloomsbury really felt like this was the right time for this book because there's, you know, there's a ton of interest in popular media and in mindfulness, but um, it's also, you know, in academia, it's a big topic of discussion too. Yeah, absolutely. I think the timing is perfect. Like every time I turn around, it's, you know, talking more and more about mindfulness. But I think what I loved about this is, you know, okay, we're taking mindfulness and we're putting it into a thing that most, you know, a lot of us are already doing on a regular basis versus, you know, having to add in a whole other thing. So I loved that. Okay. so Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that seated meditation is it's just kind of intimidating to mm-hmm. some people or it's just, they're, it just, they're not, they don't feel like that. It's a little too out there for some people. And so I think um, this was a nice way to, you know, introduce some of these things through, like you said, something you're already doing and something kind of more approachable. Yeah. And I mean, if it turns into seated, then that's awesome, but it's like a nice kind of, yeah, mm-hmm. ease, ease it in. Um, so with that, yeah, mind... yeah. And I think, you know, I think a lot of things can be meditative too. You know, I think this is about running, but it can definitely apply to cycling or climbing or, you know, swimming or whatever you want to apply it to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
yeah, pretty much any kind of activity like that, walking, hiking, whatever it is that is like the thing that you can do kind of on autopilot, I think this can sort of apply. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So mm-hmm. obviously we kind of just said for everyone, but who is this book for? What is someone going to get out of picking it up and reading it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I, you know, I really think it's, it's for, you know, runners or athletes or people kind of just looking for a performance edge, um, you know, of all types. And so, uh, in the book, I kind of talk about, you know, I think, um, you know, I use all these examples from elite athletes who use these techniques. So obviously, you know, the best of the best are, are using this stuff. So, um, and best practices would suggest do, you know, what the best of the best do. Um, but I think, you know, for people who have run, been running for a long time, uh, like I was, I think it's like a really great technique. Mindfulness is a great technique to employ when you are maybe facing burnout or running's kind of begun to feel like a chore. Um, and then there are some universal things, whether you're, you know, running your, your first running program and you're just, you know, a brand new runner or you've been doing it for, you know, 50 years. Um, there's some universal experiences. Like we all experience, no matter how good a shape you're in, we experience discomfort when you're running. And, um, so mindfulness can really play a role in, uh, helping you deal with things like discomfort and fatigue and, um, negative thinking. Uh, I think that's a big one, especially for new runners. Um, and there's, there's actually research to show that mindfulness training can, you know, boost your confidence and also, um, that people who are more present when they're training tend to enjoy, uh, exercise more. And so, um, yeah, I really hope that it, the book kind of gives runners of all levels and, and experiences a way to not only learn to really enjoy running more, but also, you know, kind of as a byproduct uh, to perform better too. And, um, you know, like I was saying, I think for people who, I think it's also for people who are just maybe kind of interested in mindfulness in general, but they kind of shy away from traditional seated meditation. So it kind of provides a nice gateway. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, so mm-hmm. and and one other thing, yeah. The um, sorry, one one other thing I think that's like a universal experience too is um, just learning to listen. The importance of learning to listen to your body mm-hmm. and um, mindfulness can play a huge role there. You know, somewhere between forty and eighty percent of runners get injured on an annual basis, uh, and a lot of that is due to training errors Mm -hmm. and not all of it, but we definitely, whether you're a new runner who just, you know, is unfamiliar with how they should be training or, you know, you're a really experienced runner who maybe just pushes too hard sometimes when you shouldn't, um, that the, the mindfulness stuff can really help you tap in and, and learn when you need to back off. But also, you know, when maybe your fitness has jumped to a new level and you're ready to to push harder and maybe, you know, add another interval to your workout or do more miles. And um, sometimes I think we kind of, we plateau because we don't uh, listen to our bodies and and know when we're ready to make that next jump. Um, And we kind of question ourselves and and, uh, don't think we're ready. Um, So uh, I think mindfulness can definitely a big role there as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I also love what you said before about running is always going to be uncomfortable because so many people that I talk to <laughs> that like haven't run or, or you know have run and stopped after like a day, they're like oh, but it it seems mm-hmm. like it's so easy for you. Like you've been doing it for a long time, and I'm like no, like most runs, like there's never a run where you're like wow, everything just feels great. I'm not tired at all. My legs feel like. Very rarely, you get those Mm -hmm. moments, but it's very rare that you'd go like a 10 mile run without any like twinge or fatigue or anything. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And um, especially at the beginning of a running program, whether you're a new runner or coming back, you know, after 
time off or an injury, you know, I, I think I tell people it takes, you know, a month or two of consistent running before you start to kind of hit your stride and have, have some runs where you actually feel a little bit more relaxed and, um, and, and like, it doesn't feel so difficult. Exactly. Awesome. Okay. So to back things up a little bit, how exactly have you been describing mindful running to people? Because I love the idea of it, but yeah, fill us in on exactly what that means. (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, (laughs) So I would say, you know, in the simplest terms, you know, a mindful runner is someone who works to really hone non-judgmental awareness of the present moment, whether that's you know, their, their environment, um, what's going around, on around them, uh, what's going on with their body, or what's going on with their mind. And it's about, you know, really existing in this, you know, unique moment of time and running the mile you're in. So I think, you know, you hear a lot of times people talk about running, being meditative. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's a rhythmic activity. And, so it's it's definitely a, a great platform for meditation, but I would argue that it's really only meditative if you kind of direct your attention in a specific way. Um, so I think, um, well, so there's research out of Harvard that shows that our minds wander somewhere around 47% of the time that we're awake. Um, so, I mean, that's, you know, a huge amount of time that, we're thinking about the future or, you know, ruminating about the past. And I think many of us do that during runs. We kind of, we kind of think of it as being meditative and like we're getting this mental break, but like what this research shows is that quite often when your mind is wandering, it goes to kind of an unhappy place. And uh, so, you know, it might actually not be all that meditative. Um, So, you know, and there, there's some really interesting brain research uh, that looks at, you know, they put people in an MRI scanner and um, tell them to kind of just let their mind be at rest, let their mind wander, think about nothing kind of. And, and actually our brains are quite active when we're supposedly thinking about nothing. Um, <laughs> and this area of the brain called the, the default mode network kind of comes online when your mind's wandering. And that area is... Um, also associated with, you know, depressive rumination and self-referential thinking. And, you know, that's not to say that all mind wandering is bad. Uh, Sometimes it really, I think, allows us to work out an important problem or come up with a creative insight. But I think you can still allow yourself to kind of disengage and let your mind wander in in a mindful way. It kind of sounds counterintuitive, but um, where you kind of check in and you make sure that your thoughts are going in a productive direction and uh, mindfulness can really help you kind of notice what thoughts are going through your head and discern whether you're really working out a problem or if you're just like needlessly wasting energy obsessing and turning over the same thought over and over again. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think we, we all <laughs> have done that before. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, so mine. I mean, mindful running is just about approaching runner running with with great greater att- intention. And um, like one of the one of the quotes I oftentimes refer to that I think kind of encapsulates what mindful running is all about is from someone named Judson Brewer. And I interviewed him for the book, but he's um, he's a neuroscientist and he is the head of research at um, the Center for Mindfulness at UMass, and he's on the faculty at Yale, and he likes to say, you're already awesome, just get out of your own way. And yes, I, love I really that. like that. Like, I, <laughs> you know, I think, yeah, we all have this really great potential for success, but we oftentimes throw roadblocks in our own way, and, and a lot of that time, we don't even realize we're doing it because we're functioning on autopilot, you know? And, um, so when you're able to bring mindfulness into your running, you're, you're able to kind of be present, relax into the process, kind of more, be more flexible, take the good with the bad. And I think through those things, you experience 
greater ease of mind and fluidity of motion and just more joy in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too often people come to any of this mindfulness or meditative stuff kind of after they've already had the problem, right? They've already burned out. They're already in this like massive fatigue and it's sort of like to fix a thing. But I mean, how good would it be if you could develop all of that before that happens? <laughs> right, absolutely. And and even if, you know, maybe what brought you to learning these skills uh, was, say, you're running, you're burned out, but then you can maybe apply them to other areas where you haven't burned out yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, so you have the book divided into three sort of steps toward mindful running, which are focus, fathom, and flow. So how did you kind of come to those three, and what's sort of a brief description of what each of those means? Yeah, sure. Uh, So um, that was kind of just part of that deconstructing what what I do um, when I go out and run uh, mindfully. And so... I wanted to break it down into like a step-by-step process um, to really make it clear what, what I do. And so the focus step is really just about, you know, becoming an observer and shifting from the thinking mode to sensing mode. So uh, by that, I kind of re- mean just engaging your five senses, um, paying attention to you. you fo- I kind of talk about these scanning exercises you can do, um, but kind of using your five senses to scan your environment and then um, kind of head to toe feeling how, how is your body today, you know? Mm-hmm. Are there any little twinges of pain or discomfort? Um, and this is kind of all as you, you know, at the very beginning of a run. Um, and then also kind of checking in with where your head's at too, like are you super anxious that day? Are you feeling very like light and happy? Or um, I think quite often we just, we're so disconnected. We just, we have no idea even kind of the temperature of like our thinking and and where it's at. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then the second step is fathom. And um, that's just about taking that data, the things that you noticed when you focused in on that, on those, you know, your body, your environment, your mind in that first step and determining if you need to take any action. You know, sometimes, you know, it takes just whatever, 30 seconds to go head to toe, scan your body, you're, you're feeling good today and, and uh, you know, it doesn't require any adjustments of any kind. Um, but uh, I, I think it just the, the fathom step is really about taking, um, you know, whether like a good example would be, say you notice some discomfort um, and maybe you're running up a hill, like towards the beginning of your run and you're kind of doing this body scan and you notice your quads are burning and everything's burning, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I think you kind of tap into that and say, okay, is this just you know, part of the inherent discomfort of running up a hill? Or is this, you know, there's some pain that I'm feeling because it's associated maybe with an oncoming injury. And so this is just, you know, if, if, if you're thinking it might be an injury, then you should probably respond by maybe walking (laughs) Mm -hmm. or taking a day off. Um, So this stuff is, this step is just about kind of discerning, that, you know, what to do, if anything, with this information. And in terms of, like, if you notice your your thoughts are kind of in an anxious place, um, the idea is to kind of, you know, notice and redirect back to the present moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the third step is, is flow. And so um, once you've kind of done the step of uh, open awareness and, noticing your environment, body and mind and what's going on with those things. Uh, Now I kind of explain how you can choose an anchor uh, to the present moment, like your breathing or your foot strike are kind of the two most common. But again, you can really, you know, choose what works best for you. And um, it's just kind of uh, something that you can concentrate on to keep you in the present moment. So every time 
you know, you notice that your mind has wandered, you bring it back to if you've chosen your breathing, your breathing, your in and out breath, really examining that in and out breath. And um, I think it's, it's important to emphasize that, you know, mindfulness is not about being in the present moment 100% of the time. Um, really, the, the practice is about just noticing when your mind is wandered and bringing it back to that anchor. And every time you do that, um, you kind of strengthen that mindful muscle. And, um, you know, a number of studies have shown that a mindful mindset can really set the stage to enter the flow state, which is uh, being in the zone. You know, you'll hear that all the time. And it's kind of where you're really hyper-focused, you're performing uh, at your very best, and, you, you know, the, the work just kind of feels effortless. So that's kind of the third step, um, and that's kind of the ultimate for any athlete to, to be in that flow state. Yeah, and then I kind of want to skip ahead. I have a couple other questions on that, but that kind of brings me into using it as like a racing tool almost because I can tell you so many races I've screwed up because I've stopped focusing on my run and started like focusing on you know counting where I am in the race and who's in front of me and you know, just all of these other thoughts coming into my head. So can you talk about, yeah, how it comes into making your racing go better? Yeah, and I think that's really common. You know, we, we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people and, you know, getting down on ourselves, you know, say a muscle uh, went poorly and then you start to kind of catastrophize and think like, oh, the, like the whole race is, you know, is going to be a failure now because and it, it ends up to be a real self-fulfilling prophecy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think that's huge, but um, yeah, well, so I think there's a number of ways in terms of racing that you can apply mindfulness um, to competitive situations. Um, one, one of the big ones, you know, before you even hit the start line is, pre-race jitters you know we all get that pre-race anxiety quite often whether you're you know a a two and a half hour marathoner or six hour marathoner Mm -hmm. we all get nervous and you know you've been the these race situations whether it's running or another sport uh, are just you know inherently stress inducing and we pay money to sign up for the race and we get the equipment and um, all our friends and family know that we're doing it. And, um, so there's, there's a lot of pressure and it it can definitely kind of send you into that fight or flight mode. Um, and along with those, those anxious thoughts that you get before a race, um, you know, you often have the physical response too, where you kind of tighten up and people will have stomach issues and they'll, you know, sweat and their breathing gets shallow and obviously these are all terrible ways to start a race um, <laughs> and <laughs> so uh, and research really shows that like like there's one study that shows us five weeks of mindfulness training uh, decreased anxiety and boosted performance in athletes so and I think um, whether it's athletic performance academic performance musical performance um, mindfulness can really help with all these things and and basically um i i mean i expand more in the book about how exactly to apply mindfulness to when you're experiencing pre-race jitters but i mean it's it's all about it's not about shutting down the anxious thinking it's about kind of you know noticing okay there's a there's an anxious thought like i'm anxious about the weather i'm anxious about hitting my pace or whatever it may be and then kind of redirecting back to the present noticing the anxious thought redirecting to the present when you're operating on autopilot what happens is that single anxious thought becomes like a hundred anxious thoughts you know you kind of jump down the rabbit hole after one thought and it just leads to another and another and you start to catastrophize and and kind of make up all these what ifs in your mind that most of which won't ever won't ever happen anyway yeah um so, you know, and in, in what the research really does show is that um, people who tend to be more mindful also just have better coping skills in high-pressure situations, and, and they also bounce back 
uh, more quickly from stressful things um, because, you know, they're able to, to not get pulled down by, by one anxious thought and let it kind of just completely hijack them and take over. Um, and then, you know, I talk about a number of other things in, in race situations, um, you know, things like obviously there's going to be some pain and discomfort involved. Um, and obviously, you know, if it's pain associated with an injury, that's different. But, um, you know, if it's just the pain of coaching hard and, you know, and putting a lot of effort into, um, you know, fast pace, um, research shows that just 20 minutes um, of mindful, four sessions of 20 minutes of mindfulness training uh, in one study reduced people's pain intensity ratings by 40%. So obviously you have to you know, keep, keep practicing that, you know, it's not like that's probably going to just four sessions and you're good. Like, but, um, it's something that you would want to continue to, to practice, but really it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's cool to think about the fact that, you know, our, a lot of this is just our perception of things. And we think it's, uh, you know, a, a physical sensation, but it's only partially that some of it's just the, these thoughts and emotions that we, attached to the physical sensations so like again the the idea of running up a hill like that example so you know when things start to hurt you either can check out and oftentimes when we check out we're you know we're trying to get away from that discomfort we're resisting it and pushing back against it and fighting it and so we're wasting all this energy doing that. And also then there's this like cascade of anxiety. Like, I hate this. Why am I doing this? <laughs> um, you know, I'll never be able to finish, whatever it may be. Um, and, and then, you know, the more mindful response there, though, would be to tap into the discomfort and examine it a little bit, lean into it. And quite often you find, you know, as that r- research study suggests, that it's not actually as hard as you thought once you stop chasing these negative thoughts down the rabbit hole of, of anxiety. So um, mindful awareness really helps you kind of bring some objectivity to the discomfort or um, like I talk about in the book, you know, negative thinking or um, fatigue or all the different things that we can experience either, you know, in workouts and races. Yeah, I love that. Um, so if someone has never done like any kind of mindful stuff, but runs regularly, like it's capable of going for a run, what's sort of like the easiest first step to kind of shifting into more mindful running? Mm, yeah, that's a great, it's a great question because it does to, for, for mindfulness to really feel more second nature, it does take some practice mm-hmm. and, that's, um, you know, the, the science of neuroplasticity shows us that the kind of the ways we think and emote and respond uh, actually will change the structure and function of our brain. So that doesn't happen right away, you know, like, uh, and so when you're kind of employing more mindfulness in your life, um, that takes a while to build those neural networks and those responses. So, um in the very beginning, to just kind of like dip your toes in the water, um, pun intended, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you, you really, um, <laughs> you really uh, can. You can do something as simple as uh, when you're tying your running shoes up at the beginning of a run, and you know, tap into the experience. It's something that most of us do on autopilot. And it's a pretty mundane activity. It's not like you're missing out a ton by by checking out while you're doing this, but um, just as an exercise, you know, really pay attention to the way your foot feels when you put the shoe on and how the laces feel in your hands and, you know, feel the arch of the shoe meeting the arch of your foot and pay attention to the way it feels when you're tying the shoe and it's it's tightening around the top of your foot. And it's a step-by-step that we just we do so many things like that on autopilot. So mm-hmm. um, I think that can be just kind of a quick little exercise you can do. Um, but then in terms of actually like starting to apply mindfulness to your running, I think uh, the big skill I talk about in the book um, is they, they call it affect labeling. So 
it's basically um, this idea of being able to like label an emotion or or a feeling in a, in a really objective way. And um, so, you know, you notice like, okay, those are, you know, burning quads or an anxious thought or whatever it might be. And research shows that this, this uh, skill really serves to kind of disarm discomfort. And, um, and it also is kind of part of this emotional granularity where um, the, the more finely tuned your ability to kind of identify feelings and um, kind of label them and discern what the feeling is that you're having. Um, research shows that the, the better you are at, at regulating your emotions. So you don't, you know, freak out at the slight, slightest sense of discomfort in your knee or if you are running a race and you drop a water cup at the water station um, or another runner, you know, accidentally elbows you in the ribs that, <laughs> that you don't respond really emotionally and have this, you know, huge adrenaline rush and waste all this energy and then you can't get your head back uh, in the right place and you're just totally rattled. And um, so I think the skill of affect labeling um, can be a kind of something that you can, you can start to, to kind of play with on your runs to really tap into the present moment and notice what's going on with your, your body and your mind. And um, that's kind of a nice like entry into this stuff. And then, you know, and then, once you once you uh, get into that, you can kind of start to really maybe more formally try these scanning exercises I talk about in the book to the kind of head to toe body scan and looking at what's going on in your head and around you and your environment. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Those are both really good and really like actionable things that are like, doable. They're not just esoteric. And I think that's what I like about this book is it's not sort of one of the spiritual like meditation -y ones where I read it and I'm like oh, okay I totally get that and then I try to do it in real life and I'm like wait I have no idea what I actually just learned <laughs> so I think yeah and I think it, it everyone's you know mindfulness experience is a little different too and so I think sometimes it's like hard for people to to offer advice on how exactly to do it because you you kind of have to experience it you know yeah. but uh I think that, yeah, I try, I definitely, tr I'm glad that you are getting that out of the book because I really tried to, to give people actionable steps that um, they could, you know, go out the door and try today kind of. Yeah. Well, and I think you, you have like kind of the optimal way of writing this in that you, you've taken like the mindfulness class at UMass, but you're also a running coach and you know, you teach running courses, but then you're also a journalist and a writer. So you sort of have the trifecta of, you know, things that make this book actually come together in a, into a thing that's easy to read and apply instead of, you know, reading and being like, I, I don't know what just happened. So really, really well done there. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. It was, it was fun for me because it kind of felt like, uh, you know, all these things I'm really passionate about uh, were we're coming to a head. And so it, it was a, a really fun project for me to work on. And I love talking about this stuff. So I love that the, the book kind of opens up more opportunities to discuss these things more because it really, you know, mindfulness has really helped my running a lot and helped me really learn to love to run again. Uh, and I think perform better, but also it's found its way into other areas in my life, which are you know, really even more significant. And um, so I think mindfulness in general has, uh, has made me kind of uh, calmer and happier for sure. Awesome. Um, I want to, I could just keep going forever, but I, I want to wrap this <laughs> up um, partially because I have another call in five minutes, but also because I want people to read this book because I am enjoying it so much. And I will also just throw out there, anyone listening to this should go to the Outdoor Edit and join the Athletic Bookworms where we will be discussing it in our little, you know, book club for athletic nerds. So yeah, everyone should go read this. <laughs> where can people find you and the book online? Sure. Yeah. Um, mindfulrunningbook.com is a, a great way to kind of get a little more info on the book. And I'm posting um, 
interviews I do and stories I write that are related to it um, and stories that other people write about the book. And um, uh, you can buy the book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, just, you know, pretty much most major booksellers will have it. And um, yeah, drop me a line if you have questions. Awesome. And you're on both Instagram and Twitter, both at Mackenzie Havy. Yeah, Havy. Yep. Havy. Mm-hmm. There we go. Damn. I was, I was so close to having pronounced all the right names for the past <laughs> month and I just ruined it. Oh, well. <laughs> awesome. And we'll have, okay. I forgive you. <laughs> all right. Good. And we'll have all those links in the show notes. And yeah, we're going to have to get you to come back on once the book club has finished the book and we come up with another list of questions from that. I would love that. Thank you so much for your interest. I really appreciate it. Thank you for writing an awesome book. Health IQ is a life insurance company that promotes a health-conscious lifestyle through financial rewards. They've used science and data to get lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people just like you, including those who exercise four times a week through cycling, weightlifting, swimming, running, whatever consummate athlete lifestyle you're, you're undertaking. Research has shown that people who are highly active through exercise have a 22% lower cancer risk, 50% lower heart risk, and 34% lower risk of early death. Many people who exercise regularly don't realize that they can get a special rate with Health IQ if they qualify through the Health IQ quiz. Health IQ has special rates for cyclists, runners, triathletes, vegans, and other health-conscious people, so you can qualify by scoring elite on quizzes for specific lifestyles. Essentially replacing BMI with waist-to-hip ratio for better predictors of cardiovascular disease when it comes to weightlifters and muscular builds. That's great for me. They also have replaced the LDL-HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for low-carb and paleo dieters, which is a better predictor of cholesterol health, and they don't take into account one incidence of family history if you're otherwise healthy. So... Go over to healthiq.com slash capod. All lowercase. And take that quiz. Um, They have a bunch of different quizzes on the website, and the website's pretty well designed, so it's worth heading over there, checking it out, and again, using that link, healthiq.com slash capod. Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing. We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford and Peter is at Peter Glassford. If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.